Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 and be finding verse 18. We continue in this amazing chapter of Scripture, amazing portion of Scripture. And I remind you that the, the theme of Romans 8 is assurance of life in the Spirit. And we've already talked about those things. We've talked about the Holy Spirit of God living in us and leading us. We've talked about the assurance that gives us that those who are the, the children of God uh, know that because of the Spirit of God in us. And today we continue on this theme, and last week we had ended with this idea in verse 17 that um, those who will be glorified with Christ must also do something else with Christ. Do you see it there in your Bible in verse 17? They must also, what? Suffer with Christ. And so as you read this text, you can almost imagine someone sitting there with the Apostle Paul, and he's talking about all these good things, eternal life and the Holy Spirit and all these good things about the Christian life. But all of a sudden he says, but if you're going to be glorified, you must suffer with Christ. And you can almost hear someone stop him and say, um, what do you mean suffer? Like it all sounded good until this point. We have to suffer with Christ? What do you mean here? In other words, I can hear someone sitting there saying, Paul, how can the Christian have so much hope when you're telling the Christian that life is going to be about suffering? That's a good question for us today, isn't it? How can the Christian, how can you and I, maintain hope of abundant life and of eternal life when we face suffering? Or another way to ask it is this, how can Christians be so hopeful when life seems so hopeless? And you and I know this morning what the answer is. Jesus. He is the only way and the only reason why we can be so hopeful when life seems so hopeless. The title of this sermon today is Suffering and Hope. And if you'll notice as you read the scriptures, those two things are often linked together. Suffering and hope and suffering and glory are often mentioned together. So we'll notice that as we study through this. And I, uh, An illustration I thought about for this was, have you ever been in a, a pitch black, dark room? Maybe the power goes out at night, something like that. It's just a pitch black room. And back in the old days, we had to take out like a flashlight or a match or something, a candle. Now we have our phones. You hold your phone up, right? What does that light do in a dark room? It lightens it. It stands out. And so watch this. The sermon you're going to hear today, especially the first part of it, is going to be a very kind of negative. But what I think Paul is doing is he's painting a pitch black dark room, and then there's going to be a bright light that shines, which is the hope that we have in God. And that light, by the way, in verse 18 through 25, is like a little flicker to me. But by the time we get to the end of this chapter, it's going to be a spotlight of the brightness of God's glory and the hope we have in Christ. I'm excited already just thinking about it. <laughs> so, here we go. If you found verse 18, say word. For I reckon 
that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, what, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then we do with patience wait for it. We'll stop there this morning. Paul and the New Testament believers, the apostles particularly, suffered greatly. Paul suffered, didn't he? You, many of you study the word. You know Paul went through many sufferings. Yet he and these other disciples, these people who wrote much of the New Testament, though they went through greater trials than I will ever see, they, through their writings, portrayed a hope for a brighter future. And it was looking forward to that future glory that helped them survive the current suffering. A lot of people, I've often told this, but when, a lot of people often say to pastors, please preach through the book of Revelation. Because it's very interesting, isn't it? It's very interesting. And people always ask, hey, teach through Revelation, preach through Revelation. And you know why, right? They want, you, they want you to get all the details of all these different things that go on in that book that are sometimes so, so detailed that even good believers disagree on how those things work out. And the reality is, to some of it, some of, some of it we don't know, and we won't know until it happens. But the whole point of Revelation, the whole point of that book, was written by John in a time where the church was being heavily persecuted. And the point of the book of Revelation was to tell believers in the first century, you're being martyred, you're being killed, you're being persecuted, but there is a brighter future, there is a hope, there is a victory in Christ. And our passage today is similar in that it's going to point us to a brighter hope. Let's look at these verses. I'm just going to give you some points as we walk through. Verse 18 is the, the key point of today's sermon. If you're going to take one verse and underline it or mark it, it would be verse 18. And he simply says there that the sufferings that we experience now are not worthy to be compared with the glory that we will have later. So imagine this, right? You have a scale, and you take all the sufferings of this life, Christian persecution, sickness, pain, disappointment, um, all the different things we suffer in this life, which are many, and you put them on this side of the scale, that would be pretty heavy, right? I mean, for all of us, no matter how old you are in here, except for the youngest ones probably, we've all experienced much suffering. But he says if you take all that you have in heaven, all that you have in Christ, all that, the hope we have in glory, and you put it on this side of the scale, it will not even be a comparison. 
It's not worth even comparing how great glory will be in comparison with present day suffering. It reminds me of 2 Corinthians 4.17. If you're taking notes, I would jot that down. 2 Corinthians 4.17. I love this verse. It says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So a while ago I gave you this hypothetical situation where someone's watching Paul write this and they say, Hey Paul, um, the suffering don't sound so good. This Christian life sounds good. The suffering doesn't sound so good. And so Paul says, look, the suffering you deal with now does not compare. So hang in there, right? I'll say that to you this morning. If you're struggling, and we probably all are in certain ways, there's no comparison to what God has for us in the future, so keep trusting him. There's no comparison for what God has for us, so keep serving him, keep loving him, keep being faithful. Now, as I read the suffering in this chapter, I think it probably speaks more to persecution. And I don't know how much persecution we've experienced in here. Maybe some of you have had some moments like that. Maybe you've had family members or friends poke fun at you because of your Christianity. I don't know if that happens. That's happened to me a few times in my life. Um, One time, and I don't know if I've told you all this before or not, one time I applied for a job. It wasn't a church job it was a secular job and the first round of interviews went great the person even told me like i'm pretty sure you have the job the second round of interviews went great and again it was two people and they're like i'm pretty sure you have the job well come to find out i didn't get the job and at that point i was pretty disappointed because the job i kind of needed at that time and so i never knew why they never told me why i didn't get the job you know i want to know like you know what i do wrong whatever well i found out from someone else who kind of knew was in the know that someone above those other two people said this we can't hire him he might talk too much about jesus <laughs> so i heard that i was like okay there you go you have it <laughs> that's why i didn't get the job maybe that's a light form of persecution i guess i don't know um but we don't experience real persecution do we compared to other people in other countries the pastors you've seen this week in canada being arrested for having church Or in other parts of the world, people are actually tortured and killed for their faith. That's true suffering and persecution. And so I certainly don't compare anything I've been through with any of those people. But we still face suffering. And I would say this, all suffering, in a sense, is in Christ. Because Christ took on flesh and he experienced all the things that we experience. All our suffering, sickness, pain, hurts. In a a sense, those all, I think, go here with this type of suffering. And all of it, all that you go through, he says in verse 18, is not, you can't even compare it with the glory that will be revealed in us. Then in verses 19 through 25, he really uses these verses to support the truth of verse 18. And so let's look and see what we see here in these verses. Um, Verse 19, he begins to talk about the creature. That word creature, I think, can be misunderstood. If you really look into that word and study that word there, and he uses it a few times, that is specifically talking about the creation. Um, if, you, if you dive into the study there. And so the, the, the word creature there primarily speaks to non-human creation. And we'll get to human cre- creatures later in the text there. And so what does he say about 
creation. He says it has a, verse 19, an earnest expectation. So he's using a literary device. He's giving human attributes to creation. And creation has this eager longing, this earnest expectation. I looked up the words there for earnest expectation. And it's like to, to stretch your neck out to get a better look at something. You're stretching your neck out to get a better, better look at something. And I was thinking about an illustration for this. When I was in college, I had a 1993 Ford Mustang. Not a good one. It wasn't a good one, no. I mean, the, it, was too, it was not new enough to be nice or old enough to be nice when I was in college. So it was like the worst Mustang you could have. Um, so, and of course, um, so I'm in college, and the windshield wipers break, and I was like, I don't have time to get those fixed right now. I mean, how important are windshield wipers, really? And so it wasn't long after that, I was basically driving in what, I think it was like a hurricane, basically, south of us, coming up. And so I'm driving north, and here comes the hurricane, and of course I can't see. And so I'm like, what do you do, right? And so I put the window down, I'm sticking my head out in a hurricane, looking, trying to see so I don't hit somebody. Luckily, Jesse, we got some of that, what, uh, Rain-X? Rain-X I put on there before I got my wipers fixed. But I thought about that because I remember just stretching my neck out like, I'm such a loser right now. <laughs> like, I hope nobody can see this. It's raining on me. I'm trying to see anything. But the point is, that was a eager, ex- earnest expectation. I'm looking, waiting to see what I can see so that I hopefully don't have a wreck. Well, here he says, creation is peeking or longing or stretching their necks out to see something. What's verse 19 say they're looking to see? Creation is looking to see the manifestation of the sons of God. And this means creation is waiting to see God complete the fulfillment of redemption for believers. And so I looked at that like, well, aren't we already believers, those who trust in Christ? We are, but we still suffer, and we still go through weaknesses, we still have sin in our lives. It's like creation could look at us and say, well, they say they're Christians, but they still experience the same thing the world does. So the point here is that creation is looking for a future time when the people of God will receive those glorified bodies, when our redemption will be made complete on the last day. But notice this, why is creation anticipating? Look at verse 20. For the creature was made subject to vanity. Another word there would be futility. Creation has this frustration because it has been made subject to vanity or futility. Futility or vanity is to be meaningless or pointless or purposeless. Purposelessness. I'll go just pick one of those. Pointless. The creation was made subject to pointlessness, uselessness. Does that word vanity stick out to you? Is there another place in Scripture where that word is found that might ring a bell with you? Remember when Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes? He used the word vanity, by the way, the exact same word here, over 30 times. And remember what he said about vanity and about life? It's very exciting and encouraging. He said, all of life is vanity. Very depressing kind of thing there, right? But the point of that is, all of life apart from God, apart from Christ, is vanity. It's useless. It's hopeless. It's pointless. 
And verse 20 says, the creation was made subject to this pointlessness. Look what it says. By reason of him who subjected the same. Who is the one who subjected the world in futility? Some say it was Satan. Some say it was Adam. The best I can see as I study that is it is the Lord. Who because of Adam's sin has subjected the world in futility. Again, I told you this is going to be really exciting. (laughs) But this is that dark room. This is that pitch dark black room of sin and worldliness that he's painting before he gives us the light. When you look around your life and people you know, are people more hopeful or more hopeless? How about y'all? I talk to people every week and see people every week who I walk away from the conversation thinking they seem hopeless. I'm not saying they're hopeless in their who they are, but their life situation is tough on them and they just seem like they have no answers. What do people do when they don't have hope, but they're looking for it? How do people fill that hole in their life? Drugs, alcohol, everything else. Those are certainly things people use, right? I, y'all probably guessed it, but when I was in high school, um, I didn't really go to many parties. I don't think I was invited. <laughs> I don't th- but, um, but they had parties. And I, I went to a few, but I was not a partier, right? And not because I was a good person. I don't know why. Just other people in my life did those things. And I saw people in my life doing drugs and alcohol. And I didn't like the way they turned out. And so I just didn't do it. But um, now with four kids, I think I probably should check into some of it. Just kidding. Just kidding. But um, just kidding. But, but I remember going to a couple of parties, like my late teens, still in high school. And being like one of the only sober people there. You ever been to a party like that? Well, I probably should drive some of these people home later. <laughs> but I remember thinking like, everybody in here is out of their mind but me. And so it can be humorous, right? But looking back on it, right, it was kind of hopeless. They were hopeless. <laughs> they were hopeless to walk around, much less drive home. But here's my point. And it may not be just things like drugs and alcohol, by the way. It could be our hobbies. It could be Netflix. It could be other activities in our world or entertainment. We try to cope with the futility of life, the vanity of life, by so many different ways. And oftentimes we ignore the one person who can truly give us hope. And that's our Lord. But if you don't know Jesus... If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I really can't blame you for trying to fill that void, right? It's really no wonder people try to fill those voids with different things in their life because if they don't know Jesus, there is this longing, there is this hole, there is this big piece missing. Someone once said, we have a God-shaped hole in our heart that only Christ can fill. And the reality is, if you are apart from Jesus, if you've never put your faith in him, at this current moment, you are hopeless. 
And that is a vanity, that is vain, that is a futile way to live. He says not only is the world futile, vanity, verse 21, he says, it's been delivered from the bondage of corruption. The world is under the bondage of corruption, yet God seeks to set it free. Y'all do realize, and I know many of you do, that when Jesus comes back, this world's not going to be necessarily destroyed. It's going to be made new. Isn't that good? It's not going to be annihilated. It's going to be transformed. Our God is not a God of annihilation. He's a God of transformation. Just as he transforms our lives, he will transform this whole world. But even now, this world, as it says there, as it says there, is in bondage to corruption. And this certainly applies to us. How many of you have ever in your life, and I want to see a show of hands, have tried to diet? Have tried to diet? Almost everybody, I'm sure. How many of you at some point in your life have tried to exercise? How many of you in your life have taken vitamins? Or some type of other supplements? We do all these things to be healthy, to look better, to look younger, longer, right? I got an email yesterday, and I get these fairly often, and the title always says, Regrow Your Hair. And I go to my little thing, and I do unsubscribe from this email. (laughs) I'm tired of seeing them. I like my hair like it is. But no matter what we do, right, and I'm I'm a fan of exercise and diet, by the way, and all those things. Those are good things. But no matter what we do, eventually all that's going to not matter anymore, is it? Because we, our bodies, because of sin in this world, we're in bondage to corruption. And those things are good. Again, we should do those things. But one day, they're not going to matter. I told you, very uplifting sermon here today. But... Again, Paul is painting this dark picture. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4, 16. I gave you verse 17 earlier. Here's verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 4. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. God forbid that I spend more time on my physical body than my spiritual life. May we understand this flesh is wasting away, but our spirit through the word and through the Lord is being renewed day by day. And that's where our hope comes in, that Christ is doing a work in us. Look at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. These words here, travaileth in pain, speaks of childbirth. And it's this yearning for transformation. It's this yearning for something better. And I found what Jesus said in John 16. Listen to what Jesus said, which I think is related to this. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. 
you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Listen to what Jesus said. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Church, you might have sorrow now and we all do sometimes. Jesus says here, one day we will see him again and sorrow will be gone. And joy will be forever. Notice a shift as we go to verse 23. Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Here he speaks of Christians. So the creation has this yearning for transformation, and so do believers. He calls us there those who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Spirit. Last night, uh, Jesse went to a wedding, and so she was dressed up kind of nice, and I thought, well, since you're dressed up, you want to go out to eat? And so she's like, yes, of course. And so we went to eat, and the waitress comes out, and we're both really hungry, I think. It's one of those times where you're, you're ready to eat, and she brings the bread, which was amazing, and then she said, do you want an appetizer? And the appetizers look good. I was checking out the menu. I was like, Yes, I do want the appetizers. <laughs> but I was like, you know what? We're going to skip the appetizers, go right to the main course. Have you ever done that before? I don't have time for appetizers. Bring the main, bring the steak, right? That's what I want. And, and it was amazing. I'm hungry now thinking about it. Here's the point of that illustration. This life is just an appetizer. Glory, heaven, is the main course. And I hope we all here have experienced a taste of glory now. Because if you haven't experienced a taste of glory, what I mean by that is faith in Jesus, where he has changed you. If you haven't experienced that here, then you won't experience it in heaven because you won't be there, right? You must have your faith in Christ here. You must have a taste of glory here. And he says, we are the believers. We have the first fruits of the Spirit, a, a taste of glory. But he says, we groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption of, the redemption of our body. We talked about last week, we've already been adopted. We're his sons and daughters. We know we've been redeemed in Christ, but again, that is only, uh, that's partial, and it will be in full in eternity. Not until the last day will it be in full. So we're frustrated between now and then because we have so many struggles, but we know, and we look, we strain our necks in eager longing and eager expectation to the final adoption and final redemption we have in Christ. Notice another part of verse 23. He says, we ourselves groan within ourselves. Now, do you ever groan within yourself? I don't know if y'all do this or not. I might be weird. So we'll see. Especially as I've gotten older, I can see something tragic, like on the news or in a story of some kind, and I just have this, like, groan in me. Do y'all have that? 
It's like I don't, I don't say anything. It's not, I'm not even really praying. It's just like, uh, like, that hurts my heart that that happened to someone or something like that. It's like this groan where I don't even have the words to really pray. It's an inner, I think, I hope a spirit-led groan of just frustration that people have to get sick with cancer, right? You hear of a child dying of cancer. I have this groan in me. It's this frustration. And he says here that believers have this same type of groan, the same type of feeling, waiting for the full adoption and redemption of our body. I would say to us today as Christians, we should have this feeling. This feeling to no longer experience hurt and pain and jealousy and bitterness and anger. We should have a holy longing for our final redemption. Verse 24. Here comes some good news, some more positive news. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? Hope is a powerful thing, isn't it? I read of a story in a magazine from years ago. A man named Eugene Land, who was a self-made millionaire, he was asked to speak uh, in New York City in like a low poverty area, minority area. He was going to speak to 59 sixth graders. And so he had the speech all written out. He was going to give these to inspire these young sixth graders. But as he began to look over his speech, he, he, um, he was just thinking, why are these sixth grade minorities going to listen to me, right? And so he scrapped the speech. He wadded it up. He threw it away. And he went into the room and he said, I want you to stay in school. And he said, if you graduate high school, I'll pay for your college. 59 sixth graders. And they told him, the other teachers told him, the administration told him, most of these kids won't graduate. Most of them will never make it to graduation. They just don't in that school. He said, well, I'm going to, he said, I'm going to pay it. If they graduate, I'm going to pay their college. And years later, nearly 90% of that class graduated high school. What made the difference? What made the change? It's a four-letter word. starts with H. Hope. Hope. He gave them hope, and look what it helped them to accomplish. We need hope. Not in ourselves, not in this world, but true hope in God. He says their hope would not be what it is if we could see it. Again, this is aligned with faith, right? We have faith, we trust in things we cannot see. This faith saves us. We trust in Christ, though we do not see Christ. And he gives us hope. Look at verse 25, our final verse. But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. I've given you 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4, 18. It says, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. 
For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In us as believers, there is a patient endurance to just make it through this life. Have you ever been in a point in life where you think, I just don't know if I'm going to make it? I don't know if I'm going to stay alive. I don't know if I'm going to make it. For believers, we have a hope. And in that hope comes about the virtue of patience and endurance. That no matter what this world throws at us, we can endure. We can persevere. Let me give you a final verse that... I hope will encourage you. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. This world is, as the text says there, this world is full of vanity and futility and hopelessness and helplessness. This world is in bondage to corruption. My first point of application today is, for us as believers, we need to be vessels of hope. Right? There are enough people in this world who are negative, who are complainers, who are down and out. May God help us to be vessels of hope for others to see. There are people you work with who need to see a vessel of hope from time to time. You be that vessel. My second point of application is for believers to understand everything we go through is temporary. Right? It is. Because one day it will be over. And if we're in Christ, we will be in heaven with the Lord. And knowing there is something greater should cause us to endure and to suffer faithfully and well. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is, for, that is to be revealed to us. Let's pray.